I'm Mary. I'm Nolan. I'm Lakita Ann. And I'm Austin. We are your hosts, and this is Your World, Your Money. We will be talking real money with real people in a real way. Because everyone deserves the opportunity and tools for freedom, financial or otherwise. Your World, Your Money is brought to you by Hangar Studios, a New York City-based recording studio, and Global Thinking Foundation, a global nonprofit working toward financial freedom and equality for all. Hi, money people. Thanks for joining us again today on Your World, Your Money. You lot are just stuck with me today, so I'm your host, Mary. The last two weeks, we've been chatting all things kids and money from real practical money education in the home and what kind of money parent you are to the influences of media and culture in the home and how while you don't always have control over them, there are actions that you can do to shift and combat things like media and culture in your home. Today, we are keeping on and talking everyone's favorite thing to hate also for like very good reason, student loans. Woo! Student loans. We have all endured the joyful conversations around student loan repayment and repayment of loans in the COVID era. And today we want to dive into the other side of that conversation and what the financial landscape looks like for students just starting out of high school and entering into university. We're bringing in two guest experts to talk us through. First, the whole getting into college and paying for it bit. And second, the what will happen to the future of paying for college and that whole dilemma that students are going to be facing. So first, we're chatting with Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Hello. I'm Nancy Herndon. I'm the college counselor at Hamilton Southeastern High School in Fishers, Indiana. We are a suburb, a very large suburb of Indianapolis. We have about 3,400 students in our high school, 9 through 12, and I am the college counselor along with nine other generalist counselors who all have caseloads of around 375 students, each of them having about 100 students, seniors, that they work with specifically on the college process, but they are their counselor for nine, grades 9 through 12. My background is that I have been here, uh, this is my 24th year here, 41st year in education, been doing this a while, and really enjoy the work I've been doing, uh, specifically in the past six years as the college counselor. I'm also the department chairperson, so I am involved in all of the academic and personal counseling, just overseeing that in our building. I am the past president of the Indiana Association for College Admissions Counseling, and I have been on several committees at the NACAC, the national level, NACAC. So been doing this work a long time and really, really enjoy it. It sounds like you're doing incredible work. And also, that's a lot of kids. It so is. many kids. Yes, it's typical of this area. These are consolidation high schools. They used to be mm. very small high schools back in the day. And back in the 70s is when all, all the high schools in the area started to consolidate there. Still are small ones, but most of the ones, especially on the north side, or the donuts, called the donut around Indianapolis, uh, the counties out. around <laughs> Indianapolis. We all have pretty large high schools, probably ranging anywhere from 1,200 to, we have a neighboring school that has nearly 6,000 students. Wow. When we say 3,400, we're kind of mid-size on on this side of town. But I've always said, if you staff it correctly, 
you can mm-hmm. make a large school feel small. So um, caseloads of 375 are still too large, yeah. but uh, it's manageable. They have allowed us to add counselors over the years. When I started here 24 years ago, we had 1,800 students. So the growth has been astronomical. We grow by about one or 200 students a year. It tends to be when people move into the area, they tend mm-hmm. to move to Fishers, Indiana. It's one of the fastest growing communities in the state. That is Incredible. And that's so many kids. <laughs> and you actually just mentioned that you, you've been bringing on more counselors. And mm-hmm. I actually heard that with COVID, you guys have been rotating. So you actually, the workload is like distributed differently now. And like, how is that going? <laughs> We're functioning right now on a hybrid schedule. When we came back mm-hmm. in July, the counselors came back in July for two weeks, just us. Then the staff came in on August 3rd for three days. It was just staff. And then for five weeks, we were virtual. The students were virtual and the staff was here in the building. So we were conducting class here in the building, just wow. the staff. Then um, we brought on a hybrid, 50-50 hybrid. So it's a it's called Royal and Blue Days. So students A through K, <laughs> On Monday and Tuesday and every other Wednesday, they attend school in person and the other half of the alphabet attends virtually. And then it flips every other Wednesday and Thursday, Friday. It's the L through Z half of the alphabet. Um, We also are allowing students to elect to be virtual all the time. So if, Mm -hmm. if families aren't comfortable with them coming back in the building, then they can be at home 100% of the time. So about, in our building, about 35% of our students have elected to do that. So we have many fewer students in the building at any one given time, and it allows us to social distance, Mm -hmm. especially lunch. Lunch tends to be always the problem. (laughs) Trying to, on a regular basis, we feed 1,300 students three times an hour and a half in the middle of the day, 1,300, 1,300, 1,300 approximately. So now we're feeding half that, but we can only seat them at two to a table. So we've had to open up a fifth cafeteria space and just have changed that completely. But we use QR codes to, for the students to take the picture and then we can contact trace, which unfortunately we've had to do oh, wow. if students uh, contract the virus and uh, we are notified and we are notified by the health department, then mm-hmm. we have to contact trace. So we have to go to each classroom, make sure anyone within less than six feet then goes into quarantine and that's yeah. throughout the day if they were here. So lunch is a big part of that. So we're remaining on a 50-50 hybrid. The rest of the corporation K through six is coming back 100%. But mm-hmm. the junior high seven, seven and eight, and then the high school, we're going to stay on the 50-50 hybrid because we can't really guarantee social distancing. If they're all here, even if 35% of them stay home, we can't guarantee social distancing um, the way we can now. Absolutely. I mean, I think about when I was in high school and Granted, I was like a super nerd. And so I was that annoying kid that was like in the library. Um, Yes, that was me. Woohoo. I had so many friends, guys. I had so many friends. I didn't. But I think about it and I think about lunchtime. And just like you're saying, like it gets kind of crazy. There's no social distancing. You're lucky if they're not sitting on each other. That's right. Trying to like piggyback each other around the couch. That's right. That's right. And so it was it was my biggest worry that when because we now then are basically telling them you, you must sit here and you must sit there for 30 minutes and you can't get up and go. And, and it's their only 30 minutes to their self all day. And so I just really didn't think it would work well, but it has. I mean, they, they wear their masks, they come in, they go where we tell them to go. I think everyone is so happy to be here. Yeah. You know, but just happy to be back. 
that they, they pretty much have done what we've asked them to do with the social distancing piece. And then we've had some cases mm-hmm. where people didn't do what they were supposed to do and then they got quarantined because of a positive case. So I think that's a cautionary tale for a lot of them. So they've, they've, been, they've been fantastic. The kids have really been For sure. Good. And I, I think that's, I, I love what you're saying there. And I think it's so funny. It's like the new, the new um, disciplining tactic is you're in quarantine. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. But you actually started to speak to it a little bit about how like this, the quote unquote normal is changing. And I want to ask like when you, and when you and your other counselors speak to high schoolers about going off to uni and, you know, whether it's community college, trade school, like whatever is next for them, how have those conversations changed? Like, how are they going now? Are they exactly the same? Are people worried about different things? Um, for the most part, I don't see them changing, changing their goals based on this. I think they see the pandemic as we just have to navigate this. Mm. I'm still going to get to my goal. My goal hasn't changed. I'm just going to have to go about it differently. So, of course, the, the, our conferences are Zoom calls. Um, when I meet with parents, it's, it's Zoom calls. When the colleges come to visit us, we have about 120 college representatives that come to visit us each fall. I have four per day, and they come into our college room, and I call the students down, and they meet with those students in smaller groups, well, and sometimes larger groups, depending on how popular the college is. Sometimes 150 will come to a college visit, but for the most part, 10 to 12. Of course, we can't do that. We can't have anyone in the building, so all of our visits are virtual. I'm only able to have half as many because of that, because I can't have those going on when the students are trying to be virtually in class or in person. I can't take time out of that day. So we do it after school. So I'm only able to accommodate half as many so far, but we have had 50 so far this fall. It's a much different kind of visit on Zoom. (laughs) I do participate in all of them. I am there too, so I can sometimes facilitate the questions. But honestly, the question that the students never, ever ask is how much is this, what's your tuition? The students never, ever, not once. Have they ever asked that question? Now, if I had parents mm-hmm. on the call, and I usually don't, but if I have in the evening, when I have my evening parent meetings, which I now, of course, also do virtually, the parents ask that question. But the students don't ask that question. So I'm there to always ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> and what is your tuition and room and board this, for this next year? So that piece, that they're not really getting that one-on-one connection with those reps. So I, I worry about that some because I think that's a good connection to make. But I, I do think I'm going to keep virtual slots, even when mm-hmm. we're able, hopefully next year, to bring student people in and meet in person. I'm still going to have virtual slots because I have had visits from colleges who never visit us. They don't oh. send a rep to this part of the country for whatever reason. They don't have the budget. We don't send a lot of students there, whatever. They're not coming here in person to meet with students, but they have signed on to do virtual visits. I would imagine because our, we fit their profile in terms of, always growing. The The mm-hmm. population of graduates is has been decreasing since 2010. So the colleges have less and less students to pull from graduating from high school. So it becomes more of a priority to find those places that have more students graduating like we do. So I think that's why we're on people's lists. Plus we have great kids. <laughs> they, they, they do well. They do well when they get there. So anyway, I'm going to keep the virtual mm-hmm. visits. But I'm still going to have the in-person in that way. I think that's going to be a really nice mix for our students. So I actually didn't know that the number of high school graduates has been decreasing. Mm -hmm. We've definitely been looking at like how many people are enrolling for university and community college and stuff like that. But I had no idea 
that that number was going down. So continuing on, like thinking financially, does that mean you're seeing more scholarship opportunities <laughs> or are you, <laughs> I love that little giggle. <laughs> it's like, oh, well. Well, are there like, because of that, are, are, is there more opportunity for students to go to university, whether it is like scholarship or grant or like whatever like that? I think so. Um, what I don't see decreasing is decreasing is the cost of attendance. I don't see that decreasing. That has gone up, as we all know, astronomically, just in the you know millions of years that I've been doing this. It, it's just astronomical. But I do see more more aid coming in in that there's more consideration given to income, family income, and how mm-hmm. much they're going to meet that need. It, it comes from the colleges that are well endowed that have that money to, to be used that way. And so there, a lot of times those are going to be the higher ticket places that have really high tuition. They'll say, but no, the, after I ask that question, how much is a tuition? Mm-hmm. How much is a room board? Then they'll always say, pretty much always say, but no one <laughs> pays that. No one pays that because we have this, this, mm-hmm. this, and this to bring that cost down. And they really do. I don't think that's, they're not just blowing smoke. They, they really do have income level need mm-hmm. based aid that they can give. And so of course everyone thinks they have need. A lot of people really don't have need, but many think they do. And it's going to depend on that income level it is how much they're going to meet it. State institutions can't can't be that generous because you know they don't have that endowment. They have, you know, they're supported by the state. Going out of state to a state school is the worst buy in education because you're going to get charged out of state tuition when you go out of state to a state school. So the best buy is to stay in your own state and go to your state institutions. And the very best buy is to start at the community college level and do that for either a year or two years and take those credits and transfer those credits to a four-year institution. Now, a lot of students won't won't want that because they want the residential college experience. You don't get that at a community. Most community colleges, you're not going to get that much. A lot of community colleges, you're going to commute to that community college. You're going to live at home. You're going to save that uh, room and board money for two years. And then gonna, you're going to go off to an institution that where you might live and, and be residential. So I think families still want that four-year residential life that many of our parents, we have a, a highly educated group of parents in our community. And so that's what they had and that's what they want for their students. But if you just look in terms of cost, mm-hmm. cost is going to be cheapest at a community college within your own state and then moving on to a state school within your own state because you're not paying those out-of-state tuition. You're paying taxes in your state and that's helping to fund that state institution. Yeah, I so many things in there. So many things in there that I'm just, I, I adore that you highlighted. And something that I was thinking of while you were speaking is that, because you were talking a little bit about like scholarships and like how much money was available for these students. And I know it doesn't always sound like it, but I, I did go to a couple of years of university in the United States. So I have that, <laughs> I do have that like really awesome university experience along with mm-hmm. the, oh, wow, loans, woohoo. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that was really difficult for me, and I don't know how many other people experience this, but I'm curious if this particularly has changed in COVID, is that I didn't even know where to really start to look for scholarships or grants. In fact, I'm me and my brother are both first-generation university students and we didn't even know we could get 
a scholarship for that. Like we didn't get it because we didn't know. Mm -hmm. So the question in there is like, has that access or ability to find those things changed? Are you seeing it any different? Like are more students doing the work to find scholarships or is it the opposite where they're not finding nearly as many or things like that? I think there are more. I think every year there are more for first generation students, for students that just are willing to do the work to go find them. And it's free. There, there are services out there that you can pay to do this. But I always talk with the students about those are scams. Anything those, those folks can do for you, you can do yourself for free. Now, you may want to pay someone to do that. People pay people to do things they don't want to do um, sure. all the time. <laughs> um, maybe to mow your lawn or clean your house or whatever. But this is work that can be done and it's not hard to do. And of course, we assist them as a public high school, we're going to assist them also. So there's that. But I do think there's more out there. There are free websites. The one that I point to for my students is FastWeb, fastweb.com. And it's, it's what you do is you put your, go in, student puts their profile in. They give as much detail to their profile as they can. And then every time they qualify for a scholarship nationally, mm-hmm. then they are sent an email saying, do you want to apply for this? It's, oh. it's a 1.3 million scholarships in this database that is constantly growing. So they can make the decision about whether to apply for that. If it's a lot of work, I always say, if you, if you have sitting in your computer a 10,000 word document that fits the whatever they want for mm-hmm. you to apply, then send it. Maybe they're only going to give one in the country for $10,000. But there are, are ones out there that they're going to give 10, $1,000 scholarships and you have to do very little work uh-huh. to do it. So, but you get to decide. So those emails are coming based on their profile, based on their interests to them whenever. And I have them sign up for that as early as they can, even in their junior year, sophomore year, if they want. There are going to be a lot out there for the younger students, but as they move towards senior year, then they're already in, in there. We have lots of local, we have a uniform scholarship document that taps into our, found, we have an educational foundation that has a list of scholarships that they sponsor. And we have a uniform application you can fill out once and send to all of those. Those are specific to here. So there's always going to be something local, some kind of a document mm-hmm. or database, which is we have both, that the students can tap into that only apply to the, the students who live in Fishers or the students who go to our high school or our sister high school, Fishers High School. So there's that. And then every college and university has to have something on their website called a net price calculator or some version of that. Mm. That's, they are required to have that on their website. Now, sometimes it'll be main page. Here it is highlighted, easy to find, click on it. Sometimes they'll have to go to the financial aid page away from the admissions where they're working to go into the financial aid piece but they can put their information in, their family's information. They're probably going to want to sit down with their parents when they fill this out because they're going to ask for income. They're going to ask for things right. like that. And they're going to ask for other things that would qualify as merit aid. Merit aid would be based on their success in high school. They qualify for certain merit aid. You as a first generation student would have put that you're first generation. That would be mm-hmm. something that you would put in there. All those questions like that would be there for every college. And then at the end of that, it's going to tell you what the cost of attendance is for that institution specifically for you. So it's personalized. It's, and they all have to have it. And they all do. I mean, it, it makes sense for all of them to have it because the, I wish I could say the over 2,400 colleges and, insta- and universities all have this. No, they have mm-hmm. 2,400 different things. 
that they use <laughs> to qualify students for their aid. Fun. Yeah. So, and the other thing is they, many, and I have families that will say, I don't want to fill out the free application for federal student aid. That's the FAFSA, they, that they don't want to yeah. fill that out because we won't qualify. I hear that a lot. We won't qualify. Maybe not. But the information that you provide in there is sent directly to the college and, and university. And many of them will mm-hmm. use that as their basis to then put the financial aid package together. Some will include loans. In fact, most will include loans in their financial aid packages. Some will say they, they don't. They specifically don't include loans. And they try to meet need other ways. That's, I see that as a growing trend, is that colleges are looking at trying to avoid loans as much as they can. And here's the aid that we can give you from our institution. So you can do outside scholarships through different websites in your own work. And then within each, each institution, they're going to have absolutely aid that they are going to make available. So many things I wish I had known, because when I think about my own student loans, like and the only scholarships I received were merit-based and like listening to you now, I'm like, there's mm-hmm. so, there's so many other options out there. Sorry. And I love that you're saying that, you know, that work is just about the work. Mm-hmm. And I guess because of the world we're in, like you're seeing more mm-hmm. of that work, which yeah. I think is fantastic. It really comes down to families also. I have families who, who basically sit down and say, here's what, here it is. Here's the number. Here's what we mm-hmm. can afford to do. This is what we've planned. We need to make all of this fit. You're responsible for anything outside that number. <laughs> and I will have some who say, we're not going to help you. You're on your own. You have to do it yourself. Fewer of the, that kind of, of a yeah. conversation. But I do have some families that don't have the conversation. It, yeah. They never have the conversation. So when the student goes to fill out the net price calculator or even fill out their common application, which is how they're applying to school is through the common application. There are, there are questions on there that I see about their family and about their parents and just about how are they employed, who are they employed by, those kinds of things. And I have blank looks on student faces because they've just never mm-hmm. had that side of the conversation at all. Yeah. And so I do, of course, encourage all of them to have that conversation. I, I had a student once who went to a private school, so paid the private school price. And then at the end of that freshman year was told by her parents, okay, you spent it all. You spent everything we had saved in the freshman year, which is very possible to do in a, at a private school. And you're going to have to figure it out for the next three years. Well, of course, she had to transfer because she didn't have that, that price tag to, you know, she couldn't come up with it herself. So then she had to transfer to a state school, which had a much lower price tag. But had she known that before, <laughs> before mm-hmm. she ever went to the private school, I think that would, probably would have been a better conversation. Well, I can definitely resonate with that. That's 100% what happened to me. We just never talked mm-hmm. about it. So I'm hearing you talk about this girl. I was like, hey, hey that sounds go. familiar. Yeah. But we have, I have this big like question that we've received a lot of people asking about. And I really just want to hear your genuine thoughts on this, having met with so many young people that are just getting ready to start their university to career, have recently gone into it. And in this world we're in right now, where you are experiencing the potential for a fully digital Mm. university Mm -hmm. experience, at least for the foreseeable future. And we're talking about paying for full tuition because that hasn't Mm -hmm. changed. Do we still think it's worth it? I don't know what they think. Again, students, (laughs) they don't look at it that way. They're going to look at, it's going to be the way I planned for it to be. This is just a bump in the road. And I'm going to have my goal of going to college the way I always thought I was going to. I haven't had the opportunity to talk to the students who are there now. 
who aren't mm-hmm. having the experience that they always wish they'd had. I have heard from colleagues who have students in that situation, and they're not feeling really good about how that all is working, where most of them are on campus. Most of them have not kept their students at home. They have brought, and I've asked that question of the 50 or so that have have visited this fall virtually. I've asked that question. Do you have students on campus? If you do, what are they doing? Are they going to class? Are they, you know, are they attending from their residence hall? You know, not really going anywhere, right? Just going to live there and you're not really going to class or are you keeping them home? And then in some cases, are you actually sending them to class having normal life? And of course, there's only one or two that are having normal life where they're actually, and they're usually in isolated areas or they're really, really rural campuses that are smaller, say a thousand or less. Mm-hmm. They're doing extensive testing all the time and they're really kind of keeping, they're in their bubble. They're staying in their, their yeah. bubble and they're able to go to class. Most of them are doing some version of, a lot of them will say, well, they're going to at least one class, in-person class a week. But many of them are, they're there in their dorm rooms. And so therefore being charged tuition, full tuition, because they're, they're on campus, they're in the residence hall and they're attending virtually. Even some of the, the larger state institutions, that's, that's pretty much the case. But I don't know, I'm not hearing a lot of backlash. I'm not hearing people pulling their kids, come home, I'm not going to pay for this. I, at least here, I'm not hearing that. Again, Temporary situation won't always be this way, just uh-huh. going to be this way this year. There, there are all kinds of things we've learned that yeah. are going to be helpful for that. But I'm, I'm not getting a big pushback on tuition. I do think the colleges are bringing students back into the residence halls, even if they're not sending them to the classrooms for that reason. If we're mm-hmm. going to charge tuition, we're going to need to have them on campus and not working from home. One thing I want to mention before we finish, there's a group called InvestEd here in the state of Indiana. It's Mm -hmm. I-N-V-E-S-D and then E-D dot org. And it's a financial literacy and student loan provider, but it's not for profit, supported by the state. There's 22 states who have this type of an organization. It's who I use when my families have questions about the FAFSA and student loans and just once you get your financial aid package back, what is it? How do I read it? You know, what, because mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> they're all, again, 2,400 different ways to do a, do a financial aid <laughs> right now. I mean, it's just, you got to really read between the lines. But these <laughs> folks are fantastic and they do quite a bit in terms of educating families on mm-hmm. financial aid and how it all works. So I know that they exist, um, 22 other states have them too. So that would be definitely a group to look for to help with any kind of planning that families are doing. Absolutely. We're going to link that so that people can find it easily because that sounds fantastic. And again, something I wish I had when I was at university here in the state. Oh my goodness. But Nancy, thank you so much for sharing this perspective. Thank you. And now we want to take that same question to our second guest expert today, Anna. And Anna is a writer at NerdWallet, and she is NerdWallet's authority on student loans. Her work has appeared in the Associated Press, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and USA Today. She recently paid off her own student loan debt and is motivated to help other borrowers do the same. 
She holds a bachelor's degree in journalism from SUNY Purchase. And if New York Times, Washington Post, and USA Today are not awesome, I don't know what is. So that's, that's pretty cool. So hi, Anna. Welcome here. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So that big question that we were just asking, Nancy, I'd like to put it to you. So from your perspective, in our world right now, paying for a digital university experience, is it worth it? Is it changing? Where, where are we at with that? So Mary, a college degree is really critical for competing in the workplace, no matter how you get it. So the Georgetown University Center for Education and the Workforce has found that bachelor's degree holders earn 31% more than those with an associate's degree and 84% more than those with just a high school diploma. So it's significant, but outcomes are also going to depend on the type of education that you're receiving. So in this case, it depends if we're talking about attending an online-only college or a traditional college that has temporarily shifted to online-only learning Mm. because of the pandemic. So an online college will have its own advantages. Primarily, those advantages work best for working adults who need the flexibility. But those degrees are not necessarily going to be held as with as high esteem as ones from a traditional college among employers. But for the colleges that have gone partially or fully remote this year, we still think that it's important to attend, especially if you've already started working on your degree. That's because persistence, which is you know essentially a re-enrolling every year, is really key to completing a degree. And then that will give you more employment options later. And if you're also somebody who has taken out some student loans before, completing a degree is also really key to avoiding defaulting on them because having debt and no degree is a huge risk factor for that. Oh, I love that you highlight that. So I also think about these big FOIA universities, the ones that are traditionally just like crazy expensive. Do you think those are changing or we're really in just this like temporary state? Like, okay, if you want to go to a big Ivy, go ahead and enroll because it's going to go back to quote unquote normal one day. Or do we think it's shifting for them? So there's some shift essentially just in how they're delivering education, but the actual costs are not really changing. And the way that people are paying for college also isn't changing at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, right now schools seem to be uh, keeping their tuition at the same or similar rate as last year. So we always recommend that you're trying to get as much free aid as possible. So grants, scholarships, that sort of thing first before you even think about taking on student loans. But I do think that students are still using loans to pay for things like tuition, because as, as I mentioned, that hasn't really changed. So they're still using loans to pay yeah. for tuition and fees. If they're on campus, a lot of colleges have still opened and uh, are welcoming students into their dorms. They'll still be paying for room and board and they can still use student loans for that. But really the thing about student loans is you can use them for anything else that the college considers when it's determining its cost of attendance. So that's going to cover a lot of different things. That could cover things like off-campus rent, any rent that you might be paying your parents right now to, to be living in their house. I didn't know that. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, again, it's anything that, they, that the college is actually determining is the true cost of attendance, so not just that sticker price. So that could include books, supplies, toiletries, medication. You can use it for housing supplies and groceries, or if you have kids, it could be used to help pay for their care. The thing that you have to remember, though, is that students are going to have to pay it all back with interest. So they should really only mm-hmm. take what they think that they'll really need. Right now, students who have shifted back home can, as I mentioned, use student loans to help contribute to household expenses, for example. But again, it should really only be if they really need it because it's a very expensive way to meet living costs. 
Absolutely. But I also think, I'm not sure how many students you've spoken to about this specifically, but I don't think there's many students that I know that knew that, that knew that like you could actually use this in case of emergency Mm -hmm. for these other applications. How could students know what they can use? How would they know if they're, well, I mean, I feel like we know the answer, but like, how could they be sure that their loan is, they could be used for these purposes? Like, cause I don't think a lot of students know. This is so cool. Yeah, they absolutely might not know. And again, we would also just say, check out that free aid first, because you can also use that money for these things as well. Um, so yeah. say a student is, is looking for scholarships, you know, they're trying to avoid taking on more debt than they can, you know, chew later, looking for scholarships <laughs> can really help with that. And, and then yeah. they can be using that money for, for expenses. Something that we saw happen during the pandemic was in the CARES Act, some money was put aside for colleges to mm-hmm. provide emergency grants, essentially emergency um, funds to their students. A lot of schools already had some emergency funds in place, but it really you know, varied depending on, on the college and, and how much money that they had set aside for this. But there are opportunities to get emergency aid also if you mm-hmm. have some kind of a crisis. Say you have a parent who gets sick, has yeah. very high medical expenses, for example, or you know, and then they can't help you pay for some of those living expenses. Or, uh, you know, there's a job loss that happens. And then, you know, the money that your parent might be giving you isn't available anymore. So, you know, that's what the, these loans can still be used for. Once again, it still just has to stay within that, that um, limit of the cost of attendance. Mm. I love that you're highlighting this and, and thank you so much because truly like mm. I didn't even know like you were saying this and I was like what <laughs> like, I could have done that <laughs> so thank you so much sure. and I hope that lots of people out there will go and check if they don't if they don't know if this is an option and they you know really need it mm-hmm. we know that enrollments are going down and we know that they're not going down a lot for like four-year traditional universities, but for community colleges, we know they're going way down. Mm-hmm. And so that coupled with this new shift in like, you're still paying the same tuition for most of these schools. I right. do think that university and how their students are attending, like, do we think that's going to change or a shift? Or are we just waiting for it to go back to the our quote unquote normal? Okay, so I'll unpack a couple of things there. Um, we'll, we'll start first with just um, moving to full-time remote learning. I think that's what you mean by, by shift, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I don't see that happening in any kind of a permanent way. Colleges and universities want to get back to whatever normal looks like in this post-COVID era, but we're obviously not there yet. So for now, schools are in this kind of limbo where they're taking it one day at a time and implementing as many precautions as possible to varying degrees of success, of course. (laughs) COVID rates are still at an all-time high in this country. So I do feel comfortable saying that we'll likely see schools facing similar reopening dilemmas for at least the next semester. As for next year, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do think that schools (laughs) want students back on campus as soon as possible. But... I would also say it's possible that colleges that have gone fully remote this semester or have some kind of a hybrid model might see some of the worth in potentially offering remote classes and it could enable them to expand their course offerings and deliver some Mm. remote learning options in the future. But I'd say it would really depend on the school. Now, as far as enrollment, we're in a, such a tricky time, um, you know, ec- economically, and I'm not an econ- economist, I will say that first <laughs> off, but, you know, in, in the last, in the Great Recession, we saw a, a very high increase in enrollment in community colleges. People were going back to school, trying to get more certification. This time is different. 
Yeah. This time there's, there's really a health concern involved. And this particular economic downturn is really hitting uh, low-income families very, very, mm-hmm. very hard. And uh, those students disproportionately would be otherwise attending community colleges. So, you know, again, there is this hope that we will return to that. But I think that right now students are, are maybe not thinking that this is the time for them to go to college. It's, it's something that very easily can go on the back burner when you're just worried about trying to survive. Yeah. <laughs> And I think we're seeing that a lot. Like I know that I've been reading a lot about students wanting to take like gap years and and stuff Mm -hmm. like this, whether it's helping out in the family business or, you know, Mm -hmm. if they have the means, lots of students are like doing hilariously study abroad. And I'm like, cool, great. Right. Um, Like, (laughs) how are you getting there? (laughs) (laughs) Did you want to come back to the country? But like, don't mind me. So um, I love that you mentioned that because I definitely think about um, that shift. But we're seeing that a lot from like Gen Z and like this younger generation. But we also know that Gen Z is like this generation that really wants to affect change and they're very active and, and you know, vocal about it. Mm. So would you, like, do you think that there's anything that Gen Z is going to demand to be different as they're entering into a university career that is so different or a university time that is so different from maybe what millennials or their parents or what anybody else has had previously? Sure. So Gen Z has certainly seen millennials take on quite a lot of debt. You know, they've read Mm -hmm. the articles, they've seen the memes, like they know that it's happening uh, for sure. And now, as far as like speaking to that, I'm not a sociologist, but I can say that Americans that are entering college during this pandemic are in a very unique situation Mm. to pay for school. Their family's finances may have shifted, for example, again, uh, as I mentioned before, due to job loss or high medical bills if someone is sick. But I think overall, it's just really important to know what your options are to pay for college um, and not taking on more than you can handle when you get out because tuition is not changing right now and colleges still have to be able to maintain some, maintain the levels that they were at previously as much as they can. Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about like all of those different groups and community colleges and university, if you had to impart like, like your, your financial tips for students going into school right now, like especially obviously for student loans, hi, <laughs> that's why we're here. Um, but like, what would those financial tips would, that would, what would they be? The ones that you're like, you have to know this or I absolutely have to share this with you. So this is the number one most important, and that is always complete the free application for federal student aid or the FAFSA. It is the key to getting all kinds of aid. Um, It's not just federal aid. You you can get Pell Grants, and those are important in work-study as well as access federal student loans, but they're also used by states and colleges to determine other need-based aid. So if a school has its own grant, for example, Mm -hmm. that's specifically for a low-income student, the FAFSA would be the way to demonstrate to them that that is a student who could potentially be awarded that money. You know, so we would say take any and all free aid that you're offered and then go out, look for scholarships. There's lots of tools out there. And I think that that is is also really critical. Again, getting any free money that you possibly can. Right, yes. yes. So (laughs) that is the key to trying. Um, But it's not necessarily going to work for everybody. And you quite often will still need to take out student loans. The majority of students do take out student loans to help pay for college. So 
we would just say, don't borrow more money than you need. And the way to really think about that, it, it takes a little bit of work. So we would encourage students to estimate their future earnings. They can use tools like the, mm. Bureau, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has an occupational outbook, outlook handbook <laughs> that can help, uh, you know, provide some guidance as far as what earnings would look like in potential occupations that you might be interested in. And then you can plug those numbers into a student loan calculator. There's lots of them out there. I would say that, you know, I'll plug NerdWallet has one. Yes, Uh, yes, we have one. Um, And it's great. (laughs) Thank you. But it can help you find out if the debt that you're about to take on is going to be something that's manageable. So we really find manageable as payments that aren't going to exceed around 10% of your monthly take-home pay after college. And then when you do get out of school, if you can stick to that standard 10-year repayment plan, that's great. It'll help you get rid of your loans quickly uh, without paying too much extra in interest. But if you're having any kind of difficulty, then consider enrolling, enrolling in an income driven repayment plan. And that will keep your payments at a portion of your discretionary income. So for the most widely available plan, which is called repay, it will keep your payments at 10% of your monthly take home. I love that you highlight that benchmark, that like 10% mm-hmm. benchmark, because I think we have all these benchmarks and that especially uh, borrowers are familiar with for like mortgages and stuff like this, because they see their mom and dad, sure. like talking about mortgages, but you know, we don't ever see our parents talking about, Oh, my student loan <laughs> percentage. So I love that you highlight that benchmark. I think that's so important that 10% for people to remember. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing these tips and talking to us about student loans. I feel like I've learned so much and it's a little bit late, but you know what? It's all right. We've learned so much. (laughs) Yeah. You know, better late than never. Exactly. Better late than never. Um, So thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it. Yeah. So thanks for listening in with us. Be sure to join us again next week where we'll be doing a standalone episode on holiday finances and if there is actually a functional way to prepare for holiday expenses that we all know are coming. Secret, there might not really be a functional way. It's holiday. It's all dysfunctional. So thank you guys all again and chat next week. You've been listening in with Your World, Your Money. You can find us at ywympodcast.com and stay updated on Instagram at Global Thinking Foundation USA. Be sure to rate and review us and you can reach us with questions or thoughts at hi at ywympodcast.com. Our thanks again to Hangar Studios and Global Thinking Foundation. Thanks, friends. Happy money making. See you next time.